I think it's it, my personality. I just yeah. wake up every morning and I say, like, what am I doing in this world? Like, am I really this thing? Am I a songwriter? What am I? It's almost like a worldview or something. It's definitely a strange sort of headspace to be in because I know that other people see me as a singer and a writer and I love being a writer. Like, it, there's nothing I love more. I always say I could be happy and um, if I were ever incarcerated as long as I had a guitar and a pencil and maybe a pen and a pad of paper. Do you feel <laughs> like that of all of the parts of being a musician, that's the part that you have the least confidence in? The writing? Yeah. No, I'm the most. What's the disconnect there? I mean, you know you know you're good at it and you know people want to hear it. Uh, I think it's just like I, I think it's just that I wake up every day. I want to I want to be better all the time and I just maybe I feel like if it's like a line that never reaches its destination, you know, like it approaching zero and never quite yeah. getting there, maybe it will keep me in a place where I continue to grow and keep my heart open to it and just continue to pursue it with this like love of it. You feel like that impulse is is a positive when it comes to improving. Well, I don't know if it's I'm wondering if maybe it is because yeah. I don't know why it is that I wake up every morning like, what the hell am I doing? Who am I? <laughs> am I really a singer? Am I really doing this? And there's also like an element of gratitude to it too, like that I get to do this feels sometimes really like too big for me. I don't know. I was watching um, the Ken Burns country music documentary mm-hmm. last night with Chris Chris and Chris Christofferson was on. Uh, and he was saying, you know, that his family never supported him and that it took him till his late 20s to like really start doing what he did. And I never heard that about him. And yeah. I related to it a lot because I have I come from a family that just was so sad that I wanted to do this. Just like, oh, gosh, well, OK. You know, we grew the house I grew up in. I think we had like a Yellow Jackets CD and a Les Miserables CD and maybe one Peter Gabriel, Blondie, like it's just a di- small diverse. Group. Yeah, a diverse group of yeah. like stack that and that, you know, that was like all the music that was in the house. Did they have specific expectations for you or was it just the idea of going to that field that was a disappointment to them? I, I don't really know. And they're supportive of me now. Yeah. And they. How long did that take? I'm not even sure when it shifted, but because I still I think I'm not completely convinced that it shifted all the way. But I think when they. I think maybe like when I started to work with people that had been validated by other people and they started to tell Mm. my parents that I was – when they started to tell my parents that I was doing something that was important, maybe that helped. I find that that's the case with a lot of parents. Like if you can – if they're familiar with somebody who you cross paths with, that's powerful for them. Yeah. They need to hear it from – they need that triangulation. You know, to hone in on what it is you're doing. Because I think that they just didn't understand, like, the type of music that I was playing. And oh, really? The, the Americana country was not a presence? Yeah, like that very – I mean, I think it was, like, very song-driven yeah. country, very song-driven, like, folk. It just – yeah, it wasn't – I don't think they listened to songs the way that I – wanted to write them just something to have on in the background or something to do something to yeah i maybe i grew up in in california and my father's family were like you know real like living in trailers listening to country music and that's a big part of the reason why i never listened to country growing up and i think i think he like very much rejected that outright was this kind of music a presence at all growing up no not from within my family i found patsy klein 
by going to a theater piece that featured her songs. The story of Patsy Cline, mm. I think, was the name of the play. And I heard all these Patsy Cline songs. I was a teenager, and I found out about her, and I just memorized every word to every song yeah. that she – and I would sing her songs and really loved Patsy Cline. I, was, I think I was 15. Was that the moment when all of this nonsense started? I think so, yeah. yeah. One of them. But, I mean, I wrote songs when I was a kid. I had a fake radio station called WDUMB, and I would do, like, the intros and outros on a cassette, you know, and do a top 40 countdown and write, like, 40 songs to count down from. And it was, like, just over the years, you know. I mean, I think that's a pretty standard kid experience, right, the, doing sort of the fake broadcast thing. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's, it was for you? Yeah, something, something <laughs> along those lines. I don't, I don't think I had the ambition to write 40 songs, but that kind of like, you know, mimicking like a TV station or, or a radio station was for sure. But when, at what point do you cross over? And at what point is this clear that like, this is what you need to be doing? Well, like Chris Christofferson, it took me until my later 20s to yeah. really commit to doing it. I mean, I was working in music. I was working at um, Hans Zimmer's um, film production mm. company in Santa Monica. Yeah, that, and, and that's music, but that is very far from what you're doing. You know, in some ways it is, and in some ways it, it's very similar. But I was an assistant, so I mostly had like administrative duties, but I also did some sound programming. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, but I was working in music, and I loved music, and I, but I just hadn't really thought of it as a an occupation. And actually, something happened to me that was that was kind of a me too thing. That kind of pushed me out of that job yeah. and into the realm of just fending for myself. I just didn't want to have to answer to anyone. I had this really horrible experience where I was actually like taken against my will by Jesus. some of my coworkers. And I just – I got back and I – it was just really – it really changed my whole idea of like what I was doing at that particular office. And I just was like, I got to – make a change and, and um, yeah. the change was sort of made for me at like right within that time and and, and so I was just like I'm just going to do this myself like I don't have to answer to anyone I'm going to do my band my band was kind of taking off at the same time in Los okay, Angeles okay so you you were in that world I was but like, it was even a though thing I was, that you were doing like nights weekends yeah even though I had like a day job I was yeah. nights and weekends I had this band called Leslie Stevens and the Badgers and we were having a ton of fun and people were really liking it. It was like just, oh, yeah, it was just a lot of fun. And we were playing venues in Los Angeles and we started to tour a little bit here and there. It's nice when there's no pressure attached to it, right? I mean, it's it's easier yes. to to just enjoy the experience when you don't actually have to live off of doing that. Yeah, it is. And, and making the choice to try to make a living off of it definitely changed. It changed. You kind of had to be pushed in a way. Yeah, maybe it was like, you know, I always say that roses have thorns and the thorns have roses, you yeah. know, like. That sounds more thorn than, than rose, the, that particular situation. Yeah, it definitely was a thorn, but it ended up giving me this gift of like giving me the opportunity to see if I could do it myself. You know, like yeah. just completely be my own boss, just go write songs and just so. And I've had definitely had jobs since like I wasn't full off the cliff into the world of no support. I still and I still teach occasionally and stuff. What does that look like the day the day you wake up and, you know, you've quit your job and you decide this is something you're pursuing full time? It was really it was really fun. Yeah, freedom. It sounds like a little bit it sounds like freedom, but it also sounds a little bit terrifying just taking that first step 
off into a new world. Yeah, it was terrifying, but it wasn't very terrifying compared to a lot of the other terrifying things that I'd already experienced. Yeah. That's fair. Thanks. Yeah, I guess it more like existentially terrifying than like, actual, right. like you know, immediate physical right. harm. Like- it sounds like you had some kind of a support group in, in Los Angeles or you've been playing around. You knew people who were doing this professionally. Were there people there to help? Over the years, there have been people sure. who have been wonderful and really been really helpful. Jonathan Wilson, who produced my new record, Sinner, um, was just – he's been probably – someone who's given me so much belief in myself. Who gave you the best template for doing what you're doing? I still don't have quite a good one, I have to admit. I mean, things seem to be, you know, you're here in New York and promoting your third album. Things are going reasonably well. Yeah, and it's technically, I mean, it's like my second solo album, but it's like my, I've been in other bands, I've like been on other recordings, I've definitely like... But the point point remains that things are going in the right direction. Yeah, I have a wonderful agent and wonderful team of people for the first time. I mean, it was crazy to play Nashville last week and have a team in the audience. I've never played a show where I just had like, that means, you know, my manager and my lawyer attorney, which Jesus, is like a yeah. really big part of being a musician, your attorney. And Yeah. What's that experience like playing Nashville? Uh, it was really fun. And oh, the whole, the 30 Tigers are the people who are putting out the record yeah. center um, and distributing it. And they were there too. And it was, I love, I love so many things about Nashville and the way they just like embrace the song. It's sort of like, thing that you don't always find you know that to me like if you know if we're if we were talking about sort of imposter syndrome or something that that's where that would i think really get me is like being a country artist from la and coming into (laughs) kind of the the heart of it you know like yeah the heart and soul of country music well nashville's so la now yeah i guess so like it's too la for me did it feel strange though being sort of a an outsider in that world well i mean i'm i guess i'm originally from it you know it really doesn't matter where you're from. Are you from like, Missouri or Missouri? You want to play right, but I always I always like feel like uh, I don't have to question this because I grew up in Missouri. Yeah, and my mom is from Oklahoma, and okay. I spent tons of time in like in Oklahoma, and I just feel like the fact that I moved to California like shouldn't impact it. But I'm sure it does for some people. Who are like what California country? Well, I I have like my cowboy hat that I carry yeah. around in my beach bag and I my tour manager I joke you, with you point I should I mention joke you point with them. into an actual yeah hat. like <laughs> and, and it is not it's not a subtle cowboy hat either <laughs> I didn't want to leave it in the car because it got <laughs> smashed. They yeah. always get smashed on tour, but but there's a couple of large feathers on it and some twine around. I mean, yeah, that's the guys at Contra Hollow made me this crazy legit yeah. headband. It's got all these like eagle and turkey feathers sticking off of it, and our um hawk, excuse me, hawk and turkey feathers. Anyhow, like I I carry my my cowboy hat around in a beach bag. Yeah. So, what's more California country than that? Is that, does, it, does the hat feel like an important part of the identity? I don't – sometimes – I've been wearing it on stage lately and I yeah. was noticing like I was looking at my social media posts and I was like, oh, man, I've been wearing my hat a lot. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe I need to back off and take the hat off a little bit. But yeah, I, I, it's – to me, it's like a symbol of 
the freedom of that kind of music, like in Wild at Heart, Nicolas Cage with his leather jacket. Like, this is a symbol of my independence. A David Lynch movie is kind of like a cowboy hat in a, in a beach bag, isn't it? Right. <laughs> is that the tradition that you see yourself in? Is that, that kind of more like Laurel Canyon, that more, you know, like Graham Parsons style of when country really started to kind of become rock? I would like to think of myself as someone who comes out of that yeah. sort of that Graham tradition. Lucinda, but Graham, yeah. Yeah, Lucinda Williams and Graham. But I was I was laughing because, yeah, I mean, Graham Parsons didn't like country music when he was – and he came – he had like a – you know, like a lot of people. Like they come – country music is a genre that people – most people start out not liking, you know. They start out – saying that they um, don't like the genre and then they end up kind of coming around. He was certain that he didn't like country music. He was a musician and he just was decidedly like against country until he heard some Hank Williams mm. and then completely had a complete change of heart. And, and you know, I think Graham sort of has a reputation for like the kind of country music for people that don't like country or like cosmic country, cosmic. Yeah, people who like rock with sort of a. Yeah, because I think that was like the fusion of rock and yeah. uh, rock and country, even though it sounds just like country looking back. Country's a tough one now, right? Because like, I mean, granted, most of probably what you'll hear on the radio is bad in most genres. I don't know. There just seems to be something like particularly bad about mainstream country. Yes. Yeah. Um, there's still some great writing in there yeah. to me as a writer, um, as a songwriter. I, when I listen to country radio, I love the puns and the turns of phrase and the way they do certain things on country radio. But it, it's true that there's there seems to be a trend that um, it's by committee in a way that, that yeah. a lot of other pop music is. Exactly. So people think of country music as synonymous with um, maybe a certain amount of closed mindedness yeah. and a certain amount of like, yeah, closed minded kind of <laughs> someone who maybe hasn't been exposed to a lot of things. Yeah. I think that that's kind of what people think when they, you know, like people say, like, I like all music except country. Mm -hmm. And I sort of see that, saw that for me as a challenge. Like, I started listening to country radio in part because I liked Patsy Klein, but also almost as a, like as a laugh. And then I started to like love the writing and really start started to get into it. And almost was like a challenge to myself, like, what? I like all music but country. Wait, there's some, I really like this too. You knew you liked Patsy Klein at age 15. Right. So you knew that there was an affinity there. Uh, yeah. In the same way, if you go on any uh, YouTube video for an old artist, somebody from like the 70s or 80s, the top five comments will all be like, oh, why isn't music like this anymore? Music's all bad now. And I think it's a sort of a similar thing where if you're somebody, and this probably is most people, and, it, and it's fine, not everyone needs to be actively engaged with music, but if you don't if you don't scratch the surface, of course you're going to be under the impression that music is just kind of terrible now, because what's fed to you is. When you sort of fall in love with this country music from 60 years ago, and all you're getting of new country is that stuff on the radio. Have you ever seen that video where they take six different country songs and put them into like Pro Tools and they all have like, just mix it have, into one yeah, big song? that's hilarious, that video. It's true to a certain degree. Yeah, or the Snap Country, have you seen that one? No. It's like this thing where they... Yeah. Yeah, like the beat is just 
the same as some pop songs too. And it is true that the way that music is acquired is different now. And streaming has been a disruptive technology Mm -hmm. that has kind of disrupted the way that artists make money, but it's also disrupted the way that people get music. So there's almost like an underbelly of, yeah, like you were saying, like you kind of have to scratch around to get down to some things with more heart, maybe. I don't know. I think there's a positive to it. When you talk about people who say, like, I like everything except for country, or I like everything except for rap or metal, I think for kids coming up now, they don't make those distinctions. Like, they're a lot more agnostic when it comes to genre. And I think a really good example of this, I don't particularly like the song, but uh, it was Old Country Road by yeah, Lil Nas. Old, old Town old Road. Road yeah. by Lil Nas X is like a perfect example. I don't think it's yeah. a great song, but it's a perfect example of something that, you know, it's ostensibly a country song. I, I love that song. And it was and it was the number one song for, it might weeks, still be, I don't know. Weeks, yeah. yeah. It was broke a lot of records. And he's that a, made he's me a, really he's happy. He's a black gay yeah. rapper. And that, that makes me really happy yeah. because there's... And Red Dead Redemption, you know, per- portrays mm-hmm. a lot of um, racially diverse cowboys, and and that is an accurate depiction of how it actually was in the West. Yeah. And people don't think of it because so many movies have kind of like taken that element out of it. And not that that's what Little Nas is doing, but it's kind of cool to me, just like he. he I mean, he is way. whether he's doing it consciously or not. There, there's an element to there, and that's that's a nice thing about streaming and the way music is served up to us is the discovery. You don't have to work for it the way you, you know the way I guess we did. Yeah, going to record stores and you know flipping through albums. But the the upside is is like context is kind of out the window, and it's kind of just anything you like, and and anything anything can be juxtaposed to make something new. Yeah. I like that a lot. Speaking of African-American country singers, she's actually from England. She's from Bristol, but Yola, I just played with her a couple nights ago, and she's just doing so well and blowing up. She's a country soul singer. Hmm. And anyway, check her out if you haven't heard her. (laughs) Was L.A. a good place to start your career? It's just kind of where I was. Yeah. You know, it's like I've... How did you end up there? Uh, I went to college there. Okay. And then I moved away. I actually moved to Italy for a while and lived there. And then I came back. What'd you do? What were you doing in Italy? I was working for one of the Pitzer colleges. I was working for Pitzer College, yeah. one of the Pomona and uh, one of the Claremont, Claremont colleges. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. And, uh, and I enjoyed it a lot. It was my first job out of college. And I lived there for um, a little over a year. And I really missed I miss this country. And it really connected me with my identity as a American. <laughs> <laughs> you, were you, you walking know? around with a cowboy hat? Or? I was not. They would have loved that. I, right? They, <laughs> there were a lot of nuns on mopeds. Yeah. And I was like – it was really funny because I was tired of it. I was ready to come back and I mean that sounds great in a to pickup me, truck but... and right and it was for a little while, yeah. but it really like you're an outsider. You know, you connect with like the experience of anyone who's in another country that isn't their homeland, and it gave me a lot of compassion for people who move here from other countries mm-hmm. and just being that outsider. You know, and you know it's it's, um, it's really it's difficult. You like LA though? I do. There's a lot of amazing stuff happening in that city. It's just a giant beast, you know. Yeah. There's so much going on there. It is a bit isolating in terms of like accessibility compared to a city like this, mm-hmm. like Manhattan, where it just feels like everyone's like right in front of you in this very like immediate way, which is so wonderful. And I miss that in LA, but but I love the pastoral 
like elements of Los Angeles, like the hiking. Like you can be like yeah. feel like you're in the middle of nowhere hiking, even in the city of LA. When you, if you get to the top of a, a mountain that's like inside the city limits, you know, and you just feel like you're you escape to the country and coyotes running around next to you. It's like kind of that Laurel Canyon feeling, mm-hmm. I guess. I love that feeling. What brought you back to LA? Being in Italy. Yeah, I mean, obviously you want to come back from this to the states, but what brought you back to Los Angeles specifically? Work still? It felt like home. Yeah. I felt more like home than any other place. All my friends had moved to New York, or some of them lived in L.A. Mm-hmm. A lot of them have joined me in L.A. now. <laughs> that seems but, to be, yeah, that seems to be direction everybody's moving in these days. Yeah. <laughs> We're losing people. Yeah, for a while I couldn't tell which way it was going. It yeah. seemed like as many people moved to L.A., moved back to New York. Starting off a music career in Los Angeles, I mean, I'm sure it has its pluses and minus. Yeah, I, I mean, I... Let's see. I played in a punk band mm. called Zeitgeist Auto Parts. That was my first like real band. There. Yeah. I was in a band before called A Girl Named Dick, mm-hmm. but that was like just a drop in the bucket yeah. compared to Zeitgeist Auto Parts. That was like my first real band, and I had so much fun in that band. And there's a lot of similarities between punk and country. You know, like they say, it's like three chords and, and mm-hmm. a story. A lot of like fun experiences, opening and playing with like legends. Like we got to play a show with Lemmy from Motorhead, and like all these amazing people and the punk rock radio there, there was this radio station at the time called indie 103 it would mm-hmm. like play us on the radio and it was super fun it was super fun to be part of that was, uh, steve jones had a show on yeah, yeah he would play us on a show yeah. yeah that wasn't quite a fit well it was for me but you know yeah. this is like this record that i made is like you know it's like my heart poured out in liquid form and that is very scary and very vulnerable but also very satisfying for some reason like i don't know it just it's like more of my soul whereas i guess auto parts was really fun and definitely like an art in its own way like we we were like super creative and did so many like out there fun things to try to when you're playing punk you've got more things to I don't want to say hide behind, but more things to kind of obscure your feelings. You know, you've got literal distortion and noise. Yeah. You've got cynicism, sarcasm, all these things. Yeah. This this is kind of more like opening a vein, it sounds like. Yes. And who wants to, like, listen to music that opens a vein? I don't know. But plenty of there are people out there that connect to it, I guess. And sometimes it's really nice to, like, hide behind a punk song, but... I mean, for me, it's like more my, you know, the greatest privilege in this world is like being your true self and being like who you are. And to me, that is like my highest goal. Like, I just want to be like me. Like, I want to be the most me that I can be. Do you feel like you found you yet? I, it's so funny. It's like, I just, sometimes I, Yeah. yeah, but I still hide sometimes, you know, like all of us, I think, but I feel I feel I definitely feel like myself in this. This six week tour has been amazing because I really had a chance to like. I feel so natural playing right now, mm. like because you just like play and play and play and play, and it's like I'm so there with the audience and I'm like experiencing it and it's having so much fun. I always joke that on stage, like I hope we hope you're having fun in the audience, but not as much fun as us because we're professionals. Yes, yeah. and like that really feels true. Like we're just so in it, and that feels just. It feels amazing. Like I'm really – I'm not thinking about what I'm playing or thinking about what I'm singing. I'm just like one with it. And sometimes there are moments of transcendence in that that like are really wonderful. So this album specifically feels more like you than anything you've done? Um, 
still yeah i mean i don't necessarily know like the the donkey and the rose yeah was very me too they but me, me comma too not me, not me too. <laughs> yeah me was very much like i felt like that was like very yeah much. how does this feel different I, i'm not sure that it does it's like the next hmm. thing in the line of art that i like i'm so lucky to get to put out in the world i really do like feel like deeply grateful when I wake up in the morning in the hotel room and my toothbrush is on the floor, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm kidding. Like, but I, I was just like earlier today, I was just like my toothbrush fell on the hotel room floor and I was just like, God damn it. Like if that's not touring in a nutshell, yeah. like it's just like a great show the night before and waking up to just like, ugh. yeah, you don't know what's happened on that floor. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't. And, uh, you just, you know, keep going. And I, I just, it's it's funny because I've never felt that touring's been difficult before this tour. I always, like, maybe I won't feel it's difficult on the next tour, but this tour for some reason feels like, feels difficult. How so? I, I don't know. Like, I just, it feels like the the moving around part of it feels like full. I don't, I'm not sure. Is there more of it? Is it longer? Are you... Maybe it's that I was in Europe first yeah. and then I came back and I was so jet lagged sure. and I just like had to like start the U.S. tour and I just never got enough sleep. That might, maybe that's it. Yeah, that but was um, – we should mention wanna... that uh, you called me to find the address and the first thing you asked me is if we had coffee. <laughs> and I've already had coffee yeah. too before this. But I needed more. Do you feel like having a kid makes you able to be more yourself or realize more of who you are? Well, having a child – I've always been the person that's just like disgustingly like in love with the world. Uh-huh. It made me even more in love with the world, which is crazy because I didn't think that was possible. But having a child and just like seeing this kid in the world was like made me understand that like everyone is someone's child. And that was like a massive gift. But it also like robbed me of a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, she is in first grade now. So I have some of that time restored and I'm able to go and tour again. This is my first tour basically since she was born of my own stuff. Well, I did some tours with Johnny Fritz last summer in the West Coast on the, you know, I've done, done like fun tours mm-hmm. more, but this is my first like, you know, tour with, for this record. Like this is like important. And I'm not that touring with Johnny wasn't important. God, I love that man. He's like an incredible writer. I'm so lucky to have gotten to, I wrote with him and Jim James produced his record, which is how I met Jim. And then the last time I was in New York, I was singing on the Colbert show with Jim <laughs> and I'm um, traveling with Jim, which was really fun. And cause I got to sing on Jim's record cause I worked with him with johnny anyway but yeah this this like the stakes are higher now that this record's out this record sinner sinner why why do you say it like that (laughs) i don't know i just like think of it as like the funny thing you call your friend when they don't come when like the funny thing you call your roommate when they don't come home like they come home at like yeah like 7 a.m with their underwear hanging out of their back pocket and you're like sinner Is that is that a reflection on you? Well, I just liked the word because it's so controversial. Like it's kind of controversial and kind of not at the same time. It's almost a word that like people don't use. It's a really religious word that's used religiously but also not. And it's like it's a judgment of yourself. And I don't know. I kind of don't really believe in sin in a lot of ways. Like the things that people call sin. Like I definitely don't believe that like – abortion is a sin for instance um and i think there are lots of people that do you know and i definitely think that it's a very hard decision that women have to make and not always like it's a really hard moral decision 
but I don't think it's something that like, I don't know, there's a lot of like shame connected around the word sin and a lot of guilt. And I think that shame and guilt like do so much harm to people's like just idea of themselves. It's so tricky because like there's definitely like a line to walk in this lifetime. There are... You don't want to actively harm other people. Right. Part of having a, a kid, it made you more appreciative of the world. But like you look at those, we have 12 years to fix climate change studies mm-hmm. and everything's happening right now. I mean, that must be terrifying to bring a kid into the, into the world amidst, you know, everything. Everybody I talk to, to a person, I, I love having older people on the show, people who've like lived through a lot of stuff. And like to a one, they, they tell me that like, this is a historical, the moment that we're going through right now. Like there are some analogs in history, you know, like, Nixon, like there's a little bit there, but this is this is like a whole new ball game for everybody. It's a scary time to bring a life into the world. It is, and that did not escape me in making the decision to bring bring a child into the world. And it's really, it is really scary. It is a really scary time, and sometimes I really am ready to be yelled at by my child, you know? <laughs> the guilt of having to deal with everything? Yeah, and I know that it'll be really yeah. hard for her to understand that there's a certain de- degree of powerlessness that certain yeah. adults feel. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what to say about that, except that I really hope that we can get it under control. The fact that we didn't understand the amount of reflection that was happening from the ice back in outer space and that now that so much of the ice is gone it's warming up more rapidly than we expected that is really it's kind of like the library that didn't take into account the weight of the books you know it's like just sinking slowly yeah. into the, and i just i really hope that we can make the changes that we need to make to to you know stop the melting of the ice and get back to so there's a song about pat tillman on the record yes have you seen that movie the tillman story I okay i think i put the album on spotify it was a single and then i like saw that it was about pat tillman and again i think this is like a pretty important distinction between mainstream and sort of like indie or whatever you would call it country is anytime anything in mainstream country deals with the political it's like purely patriotic right right it's like the toby keith oh god kind of put a boot in there yeah Uh yeah there's obviously a lot more nuance to the story that you wanted to tell well i certainly wrote it out of anger i was angry at the government and that is true and i it is a form of a of a song that's that comes out of that anger and this just in brief the story of pat tillman he he became an army ranger he was he had played for the NFL. He Pat Tillman left Football. the Arizona Cardinals yeah. to go and fight in Afghanistan and was killed by friendly fire, but because of his NFL football contract, he had a lot of he was the most famous soldier, one of one of the most yeah. famous soldiers in Afghanistan. I mean, at the that was time. something that like used and, to happen all the time, right? Like like a league of their own is about how they had to stop playing baseball because all of the all of the athletes went to go serve. Ah, but but he's yeah. like, you know, one of the few who actually did that in modern times. Yeah. And and he left the contract, went to Afghanistan and was killed by friendly fire. But they held his funeral on all the ma- on all the major networks, making him a war hero. And they knew that he'd been killed by friendly fire. He'd been killed mm-hmm. by and they used it 
as propaganda to get other people to sign up to go over and fight. Get, and um, he was very afraid that if he died that that would happen. He had had – he clearly outlined those fears before he left to fight and still it happened and everyone knew that it was complete ruse but and um just I felt so betrayed you know that our the armed that the armed forces would you know and that the government would make the decision to turn him into a war hero and use it as basically propaganda I felt really betrayed as as a citizen of this country and so I kind of put my anger into that song how often do songs form that way for you how often does it come from a very kind of concrete instance or place that you feel compelled to sit down and write something about it pretty rarely yeah they're usually more abstract yeah usually they are or I like write a lot about heartbreak and, yeah. <laughs> and love. That story really moved me. That film is excellent, the Tillman story. You feel like that's a healthy way to kind of get that, that anger out? It does. It's funny. It does like as like for selfish reasons, it does feel better Yeah. for me. Like once I say what I need, it's just like saying what you need to say, but like in a louder way, I guess. Do you channel that anger in the same way when you perform? Sometimes, yeah. Yeah try to like <laughs> you know i try yeah. to like make it real or new or collect the in like the ideas that made me form the song like and put them into the, that emotion you know yeah. but i don't play it live much why i think because it's such an ang- it's such an angry feeling you just don't want to put yourself in that position every night yeah or i might like yeah. openly weep you know yeah while well, playing, which I do sometimes, <laughs> it works for cat power. You know, I mean, there's there is yeah, a certain right, there is a certain appeal to that. Yeah, just like own it and cry. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you if you're like, if if your concern is like not is not being genuine, then like that's a way to really get to a very a very real place very quickly. Cry some real tears. Yeah. So you teach songwriting? Sometimes, yeah. I'm not currently teaching, but I have taught a songwriting course. It's one of my favorite things to do. Is it? I love taking songwriting as a college student, and I love teaching it. It's so fun. I lost – I cannot find my, my teacher, Pat Caddick, if you're out there. I keep trying to find his email and search for him. I don't know what happened to him. How do you break it down and like approach it like analytically like that? How do you – I mean you almost have to like approach it – like a science, right? If you're teaching it in a class, I think yeah, you do. If you want to teach a group of people, yeah. some, anything you know, you you try to break it down. And what's so interesting to me is that so many different songwriting. There's so many different ways to kind of break it down. But there's, I love talking about truth in songwriting. That's like one of my favorite things to talk to my students about. What is true and what is truth? I and and I I say, well, yeah. I don't know. Can't. It's, I think it's too detailed to probably get sure. into. Sorry, but but yeah, just like any like creative writing class, kind of. Yeah. But do you risk sort of, sort of like taking some of the romance out of it by approaching it that way? No way. No way. No, no way. Inspiration still inspiration, but yeah. you have to. You do have to sweat to be inspired. You know, you have to like give yourself that time to go and write and wait sometimes for like. The inspiration. I saw you mention in an interview that I thought was interesting was this idea of writing something, letting it sit, and then coming back to it. I do do that, yeah. I come back once I've forgotten what I wrote yeah. and see if I still like it. If it, like, oh, if that was someone else's, would I, would I like that? And I, I take that into account when I – because I – yeah. You know, sometimes you can romanticize what you're writing and sure. feel like you're conveying the emotion and you actually aren't. And so I like to come back to it fresh. Like I'll, I'll leave something for years sometimes. Does teaching songwriting has, – has that made you 
a better songwriter? I learned so much from my students. Yeah. I get so much more than I give. And so it just encourages helps me give more and more because I want to I would love to write a book someday on songwriting what's stopping you uh Time. right now I don't I I don't know I have I I could try to flesh out a new yeah. book it's just so it's a lot to raise my daughter I'm a single mom yeah. so it's a lot of time to raise her you also need that confidence as a songwriter to feel like it's one thing to like decide that what I have is important or good enough that other people want to hear, but that, you know, for other people to sort of like sit down and take my lessons in a book, like it's another level entirely, it seems like. Interesting. I I feel pretty confident about yeah. that being okay. something that I could do. But but yeah, I still wake up every morning like, Am I really a songwriter? Even though I could write a book. Crazy. The definition of insanity, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> That was Leslie Stevens. Her latest Sinner came out in August on Lyric Land Records. Thank you so much to her for taking the time to do that. Thanks to you, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a number of ways to support us. You can rate and review us on iTunes or on Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube now. Like us on Facebook. If you have any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Also on Tumblr, that's rylcast.tumblr.com. That's first and best place to go for RIYL related information and that's about all we got for this week so stick around because we're going to be back just about this time next week with another episode of RIYL.